Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Hey there, thanks for joining the No Water Methodist podcast. Glad to uh, have you tune in, and um, today I'm recording from my home office. I am homesick, and my kids are playing in the background, so uh, you might be able to hear them, and it's sleeting outside. It's winter weather time, and uh, I'm getting my mind ready for Lent. It begins next Wednesday on Ash Wednesday, and um, during Lent, the traditional practices are uh, abstinence and fasting and almsgiving. And so I would encourage you to be thinking on what you would like to practice in the 40 days leading up to Easter. Of course, uh, we don't practice those things on Sundays because those are always feast days, but there are 40 days starting on Wednesday uh, leading up to Easter of uh, self-denial, abstinence, and almsgiving. So consider ways in which you can observe those. I don't think I have any other notes before we get into the episode. The episode is me preaching on the lectionary readings this Sunday, um, and we have three kind of disparate readings. You can find some themes between them, uh, but Genesis 48 is Israel slash uh, Jacob blessing Joseph's two eldest sons, and then we have in 1 Corinthians a continued discourse on the importance of understanding the bodily resurrection which we began that that theme last Sunday, the previous Sunday. And then in Luke chapter 6, um, we have Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, which has some things in common with this Sermon on the Mount, but in my opinion is, is much starker and makes it harder to avoid understanding what true righteousness looks like. It's a very difficult teaching. I have not been entirely sanctified in this way of life yet, um, but... It's a worthy reflection time, so I hope you enjoy your time at reflecting on God's Word with me and my church community, and we just ask you to continue praying for this little church here in Nowata. We love what we do, and we're very blessed to do what God has called us to do. Just uh, pray that we get the right discernment to hear God's voice and that we have the courage to follow where He leads. All right, enjoy the podcast. The rest of our worship will be spent in God's holy Word. And as usual, we have four readings from the Revised Common Lectionary. I don't select these readings. I do augment them. Sometimes they want us to skip over little parts or stuff that's not circumstantial. But I always feel shady about skipping parts, so I expand it back out to its full length. Our first reading today has a section like this. It has a section where Israel crosses his arms to bless the, the sons in a different order than what his son uh, presented. They wanted us just to skip that because the, the aftermath of that isn't explained in this. But uh, when you run into that, just know it's part of a larger thing. I may or may not explain it here in a minute. But this is Genesis. This is the first book of the Bible. It follows the story of the patriarchs, beginning with Adam. And then Abra Abraham. I, did I say? I, well, I meant to say Abraham. Abraham is the first of the patriarchs. Then his son Isaac was his only son. Isaac had two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau. And even though Esau was the eldest firstborn, Jacob fools his father into giving him the firstborn blessing 
Jacob goes away for a long time, afraid his brother will kill him. And then on the way back, has this encounter with the angel of the Lord where they fight all night. And um, he gets renamed Israel, one who struggles with God is what that's translated to mean. So he's called Jacob Israel from that point on. And Jacob Israel has 12 sons, the most prominent of whom was Joseph. Joseph was beloved by God and he had dreams of how important and special he was and his brothers hated him for it. So they sold him into slavery, tried to kill him, sold him into slavery. He became a slave in Egypt, but just through God's guiding hand, he ends up becoming the second most powerful person in Egypt under Pharaoh, is able to see this famine coming. He, uh, he sets aside all this food so that when the famine does come, his father, Jacob, Israel, is still alive, and his 11 brothers are still alive, and they come looking for food, and what do you know? He's the one who has it, and he messes with them for a bit and finally reveals who he is. But uh, up till that point, he only sees his brothers. His father is old, uh, still living in the promised land. This reading today begins with them dis- him discovering that his father's about to die and taking his sons to receive a blessing from his father. It's just kind of ironic, this guy who cheated his father out of the wrong blessing is now going to offer a blessing to, to his kids. You know, life comes full circle like that. Um, so we're going to do this reading and just want to, uh, I did not get everything for worship together until last night. So our readers today probably haven't seen the reading before they're getting up here to do it. Um, so just want to thank our readers for, uh, leading us through this. Um, let's do the Genesis reading and then we'll talk through it. Good morning. Our first reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 48, verses 1 through 15, which you can find on page 80 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Paddan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan, while we were still on the way a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath. That is Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knee and bowed down with his face to the ground. 
And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head. Though he was a younger and crosses his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I preached on this text for about 30 minutes in Delaware and then had to squeeze everything else in. I'm, I'm not going to do that. There's, there's a lot here. And so I just want to encourage you. There isn't any way. I think there are a lot of people. The only scripture they get is Sunday morning worship. And if that's the only time you're getting scripture, you're, that's not enough. <laughs> that's not close to enough. You need to be in the word at home. You need to be meditating on it at home, especially with Genesis with all of these interweaving plot lines and intersections, it takes a lot of time and energy to connect all these things, and I can't do it for you. Um, actually, if you want to talk about expanding worship out to three hours, okay, we can talk about that. I might be able to do it all for you. But if you don't want to expand worship out, you need to be doing this work at home. Now, the, the part I do want to focus on from this reading is this, this act of blessing one's descendants. Now, we don't have any kind of formalized way of doing that in our culture. Uh, this whole scenario where a son brings his children to his parent with this, he's, he's putting them in front of the father for the father to put his, lay his hands on them and offer specific blessings to them. That's not really a thing that we do in this culture anymore. Dad, you're about to die. Bless my kids. Why don't we do that in our culture? Why do you think? There are different reasons. There's not just one answer. We could entertain all kinds of hypotheses. Why do you think that we don't come to our parents and say, hey, Dad, you're about to die. Would you please bless each of my children? Why don't we do that? Okay. So, so Amber said, uh, so in our culture, we may have some kind of corollaries, like we have wills and testament, te testaments where we pass on material blessings. Uh, and there are material blessings in the blessings that, that Israel gives his children, but that's not just it. So, but even so, do you know what percentage of Americans actually put together a will or test, uh, will or trust? It's under a third. I want to say it's under a quarter. It's been a while since I looked at it. It's not even half of all adults in America put a will or trust together for their kids. So we'll come back to that. But what are some other reasons as to why we don't do this thing culturally where, hey, you're about to die. Would you please bless my kids? One is we kind of sort of do, but it's only materially. Put it in writing. You don't have to say it. You know? Are there any other reasons why we might not do such things? Yeah, go ahead, Linda. Yeah, you said it. 
We didn't even establish what it was. It's inferred. We don't want to talk about what? Death. Even saying death, to say that guy died is considered a crude way of talking. He passed on. He lost his final war with pain. We come up with artistic language so we don't have to say, that guy died. You know, it's considered crude. In, in the Old Testament world, they didn't have any, they said, my body's falling apart, I'm about to die. Dad, you're, you're getting old, you're about to die. Let's do something about it. Our culture is scared to death of death. Once upon a time, you know, you read about days in medieval England. I mean, people died in the streets. You know, you, you'd see a dead body on a daily basis, pretty much. Death was all around you. We have a culture where we hide dead people away in hospitals and nursing homes and funeral homes. You can go days, weeks, years without seeing a dead body. You know, the, uh, Sarah Beth's grandmother, Evelyn, first dead body my kids have seen. You know, and Sarah Beth was there by the casket the whole time. And then my kids were at the, the, the graveside. And then we sat there and we watched Granny be buried. You know, that's not a thing around here. The family gets together by the graveside. They see the casket there. They don't watch the casket get lowered down in, much less the soil put on top. A lot of people would look at that and go, why are you exposing your children to this? Well, because death comes to us all. And we've got a culture that cannot deal with death cannot deal with death. And that's why I think most people don't have a will or trust. They just don't want to think about it. Sarah Beth and I sat down with a lawyer about a year ago, and we went through the whole process of establishing a will and a trust, and it wasn't fun. <laughs> it wasn't fun. It's a bunch of logistics, and uh, you have to add up how much you're worth and figure out all these material things, and then uh, put it all down in writing, and especially like end-of-life procedure. If you, that's not part of a will or trust, but we did that as well. Like, okay, if I'm in this medical situation, pull the plug. You know, or if I'm not, you know, give me fluids but not foods. You know, it's not fun to think about. It's not fun to think about dying, is it? But does that mean that we shouldn't think about dying? If you don't think about something, that pretty much guarantees you're not going to be prepared for it. And I can't tell you how many old people I've seen should be ready to die, nowhere near ready to die. They're crying and screaming and fighting it and denying it. It's a shameful way to go. You've had your whole life to prepare, yet you're not prepared. How old was Jesus when he died? 33. 33 years old. I'm older than Jesus was when he died. I've had a good full life. I should be ready to die. There are people twice as old as me, not ready to die, fighting it, denying it, scared to death of it. It shouldn't be. And whenever, you know, man, what a wonderful time. If Susanna brings her eldest children to me and says, Dad, you're going to die. Would you bless my kids? How many people go, oh, I'm not that old. I'm not that sick. How dare you say that? And then how many of us would go, yes, I would love to bless your children. Come here. Come here. Let me touch your head. Let me. As soon as he sees these grandkids, he hasn't met them. He kisses them. He has so much love for them and blessing right off the bat. He adopts them as his own children. Can you imagine? I'd be kind of offended if I was the dad. I'd be like, wait, I raised these kids. I'm the dad. But the point there is not erasing what the father has done. The point is giving these kids a higher and greater blessing because of who their father is. But we don't need to preach on that. The other thing I'll say is there are a lot of people, if you ask them for a blessing, they don't have anything to say. Just like if you ask them to talk about the hope that's in them about Jesus, they don't have anything to say. 
oh, I'm not a words guy. I'm not much of a, a talker. If you don't learn how to use your words for blessing, that means you're not going to bless other people. Blessings should be pouring out of your mouth. Do you love anybody? We're not just talking about kids. Do you love anybody? You should be blessing them. And we're not talking about end of life, formal. You should be using your words to bless. Who loves, I love reading these stories in the Bible of people blessing one another, laying hands on one another, just wishing God's good upon them. We should do more of that, I think. I can't tell you how touching it would be. I've only had this happen once or twice in my life where I'm about to leave somebody's house and I say, just a second, I want to I pray with you. I want to bless you. They grab my hands. They look me in the eyes and say, God bless you. They might have something more substantial than that. Here in this blessing, it was like telling the future. Here's the future you're going to have. Here's the way that God is going to bless you in your future. We're not necessarily comfortable with that. But the thing I do want to push you on today, there, were two, there was a practical thing and a spiritual thing. The practical thing is if you don't have your will or trust in place, you need to. You need to move forward on it this week because you don't know how much time you have. And if you don't move forward on it, it is miserable for families. My family, we had a death in the family a few weeks ago. There was not a will or trust in place. Entered probate court. All of your business is put out for the public to see. It costs all kinds of money on the back end. It's, it's miserable. Don't do that to your family. Get it together on the front end so they are able to grieve without fighting about stuff or not knowing what to do with your stuff. Okay, so that's a practical thing. Please get it together. If you, if you want help walking through it, I'll send you the link to that video me and Sarah Beth did. That's, we want to bless you that way. But the second thing is you need to make sure that you're blessing people. People in your life that you love need to know that you love them and that you wish good things for them. And you don't have to put your hand on their head when you do it. But look them in the eyes and tell them you love them. Tell them the kind of future you want for them. When people come to me and they're miserable, one of the things I'll do with them is say, tell me about who you want to be when you grow up. And it's okay if they're already grown up. Who do you want to be in five years? Who do you want to be in ten years? Here's who I would like for you to be. Here's where I'd like for your life to be. Here's the blessing I wish upon your life. Do you want that for yourself? And it's so odd. Most people are looking at me going, I think I do kind of want that. It's like they're not even thinking five or ten years down the line. They're just so focused on themselves day to day. They're not thinking about the future. They're not thinking about other people. But what, what does the world become if we're all watching over one another in love and blessing one another and praying good things upon one another? And that when our time to die comes, we're not running from death and avoiding it and getting mad at people when they bring it up. But we're going, yeah. I'm about to die. Come here and let me bless you. Some of the best testimonies ever given were on a deathbed. Some of the best obituaries ever written were about Methodists on their deathbed. I pray we can all die with dignity and holiness. Because it's coming. We're going to get to our New Testament reading here in a minute. And he says, everybody's going to die. But everybody's going to receive a... A, a heavenly body as well. And it's going to be a blessed thing. So we'll, we'll turn to that good news here in a minute. Let's see. Did I preach 30 minutes? Close to it. Not really. Um, so we, uh, I had us singing number 131 here. The very opening line is, we gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. So a big part of what we're doing here, it's like those children appearing before their patriarchs saying, bless me. You have a blessing to offer? I want it. There is nothing to be sorry about wanting God's blessings. Let's sing together about why we're gathered together here. 
All right, Psalm 37 is found on page 772 of your hymnal. Sarah Beth, what's that starting up? Do justly love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Did I do that right? All right, everybody, let's sing that together twice. Do justly love mercy, walk humbly with your God. One more time. Sorry. Well, I did a bad start. One, two, go. Do justly love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Do not be angry because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. Trust in the Lord and do good so that you will dwell in the land and enjoy security. Do justly love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in God who will act, bringing forth your vindication as the light and your right as the noonday. Do justly love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not be angry. It leads only to evil. Yet a little while and the, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look at their place, they will not be there. Do justly love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Do not be angry because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not be angry, it leads only to evil. Do not be angry because of those who prosper in their way, because of those who carry out evil devices. These were all three in this psalm that we just did. They might have gone past us unnoticed. I know none of us struggles in this way, but have you ever known anybody who's going through life going, that's not fair? That's not fair. I don't like that. That's, I, did, I shouldn't have been treated that way. Hey, he shouldn't have got that. I remember in, in uh, third grade, we had a t Mrs. Westfall in Claremore. She's still there. I don't know if she's still teaching. She was a great teacher. We had several kids that they wouldn't like the way she graded things or governed the classroom, and they would come to her and say, Miss Westfall, that's not fair. And her retort every single time, I heard it every day at least twice, life's not fair. Life's not fair is one of the greatest things you can tell a kid. Because, okay, in a gospel sense, it's not actually right. 
because God is going to make everything right in the end. He is going to judge. But if you, I know nobody's like this here, but if you know anybody who's going through life thinking about what's fair all the time, they are miserable people. You know, some marriages are like this too, you know. Oh, I did, I did the dishes. You have to do the dishes now, you know. Oh, I did the lawn. Uh, you need to do the garden now, you know, tit for tat, you know. Oh, I put 30 minutes into this. You only put 15 minutes into this, you know. You find it in workplaces as well. Oh, so-and-so got their smoke break, and I haven't gotten my break yet, you know. We can think of 100 situations like this. But if you're a person who goes through life thinking about what you're owed, what other people deserve, not only are you a miserable person, but you're not even going to be able to focus on what God's doing around you. Here in this psalm, it's saying, don't get angry. Don't get worked up. Don't be bent out of shape about what's right and what's wrong. God is in control, and he's going to do things better than you could ever do. So chill out. That's a biblical phrase, chill out, okay? But that's a good way to go through life. Trust in God. Stop getting so worked up. That's why the, the biblical phrase of chill out is do not worry or do not be afraid. We find that all over the Old and New Testament. The reason it's there is because humans get high strung and judgmental and want to figure it all out and want to be in charge of everything. There's a reason why that phrase let go and let God took over. It's because we know we're a bunch of control freaks who hold on to grudges and we got to have it our way or the highway. We need to loosen up and trust God. Amen. I'm glad y'all could say amen to that. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. Let's go to our, uh, our first, our New Testament reading, reading three. It's from 1 Corinthians. It's picking up right where we left off last week. Okay, so it's talking about the bodily resurrection. There were people in the Corinthians church, Corinthian church who were mocking those who believe in a literal body, bodily resurrection. You know, they were saying, oh, no, when people die, they're just dead. They don't get their bodies back. They're not up and walking around playing with their old dog or anything. No, they're just dead. We follow Jesus because... Uh, he was a good teacher and he taught good lessons, but there is no resurrection of the dead. And Paul is arguing with them and going, if we're following Jesus only for this life, then we are idiots. If you're following Jesus just for this life, if you, if you do it because you think he makes you wealthy or get lots of friends or have a good li life, no, that's not what Jesus does. And we'll see his teaching uh, at the end of worship today, the, the gospel reading, it's it's not good for making money or making friends. You know, it's, it's, it's terrible advice if it's for this life only. So anyway, Paul says, you might as well just eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. If you don't believe in the resurrection, uh, what are you doing here? Why are you in the church? So that's what we did all, all last week. If you weren't here for that sermon, uh, we've got it all online. Um, but today we're going to pick up right from there and talk more about the bodily resurrection. So let's do that reading. Our third reading is from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 15, verses 35 through 58, which you can find on page 1789 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. 
There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. The stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. And was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that it is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Let me just start by asking, are there any questions about this, the content of this reading? Pretty, pretty straightforward for everybody? There's a lot here. What I assume... The average person has at least three things in this that would be good to flesh out. It's just hard for me to know what of those things would be best for you. Here's, here's some things that average people are confused by. A lot of people are told that uh, when we die, immediately our spirit departs. When you watch Looney Tunes, you know, uh, we get wings and a halo and we go and get a, a harp and we sit on a cloud and just... Everybody gets to go, you know, everybody who had good intentions and who doesn't have good intentions, right? Everybody, and that's not really what the Bible tells. Whenever Paul says, we will not all sleep, what's he talking about there? Is he talking about having a big slumber party? Die, yeah, it's scriptural language for death. So, yeah, it, they, they were not always very emphatic as well. They talked about falling asleep, but the notion is when you fall asleep, you wake back up, right? So the, the Christian notion is when we die, we don't stay dead. When our bodies die, they don't stay dead. The, they do die, but it's like a seed when it dies. When you plant a seed in the earth, it dies, and then it changes form and rises up, right? That's the first metaphor he worked with. He said, likewise, our bodies, yeah, they die, and we plant them in the ground, but then they rise imperishable, different from how they were sown. 
And so it goes, you know, what, what was sown in, in perishability becomes imperishable. What was sown uh, without dignity is raised with dignity. That wasn't the right word, but uh, there were three different descriptors it gives. What was mortal is now immortal. Um, oh, what was, what was, yeah, weakness and dishonor versus strength and honor. You know, those are the other categories here. So what we're talking about on the other side of death is not some ghostly existence where we're just floating through the universe. We're talking about bodily, some form of physicality. You know, you remember, think of Jesus. When Jesus died and he appeared later to his disciples, was he just a, a spirit that they couldn't touch? No, he ate. They put their hands in his wounds you ever think about this? How does, how does a spirit have a voice? They don't have vocal cords that can vibrate together. That don't make any sense to me. No, what, when we're resurrected, we're going to have a body. And here's another thing. A lot of people think only the good people get resurrected. Good and bad alike get resurrected. The question is not who's going to be resurrected. The question is, what's it going to be like for you afterwards? Because here he says, heavenly bodies have different standing. You know, The sun is different from the moon, is different from the stars. You know, humans and animals have different kinds of, you know, there's lots of different ways to be in the universe. In the resurrection, are you going to be one of those people that's blessed in the presence of God? Or are you going to be one of those people who's separate from God in a very different bad place? See, when you believe in eternity, everything really shifts for you. If you don't believe in eternity, then you're just living for this life. Why on earth would you follow Jesus? But if you believe in eternity, if you believe in a resurrection of the dead where there is bodily pleasure and bodily pain still well then how we live today really matters sometimes i just want to hop in the back of a pickup truck with a loudspeaker and scream into people's houses how you live matters because people day to day forget that how we live matters but that's why at the end of this section paul's exhortation is therefore my dear brothers and sisters stand firm let nothing move you Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here it's saying stand firm and work your butt off. That's scriptural language for work your butt off. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Well, what's the work of the Lord? How do I know what's Lord's work? What's an easy way to know if what I'm doing is Lord's work? Is it if it gives me a warm feeling in my heart? No. Y'all have heard my preaching long enough. You know it's not that. How do I know if what I'm doing is the Lord's work? Yeah, if, the, if it's in the Bible. It's one of those sections, do not do this if I'm not doing it, good. If it's saying, do this, and I'm doing it, I'm doing the Lord's work. Well, what if nobody sees? What then? Is it vain? Vain means meaningless, right? What if nobody sees it? Is it vain? What if it doesn't change a situation at all? What if it doesn't change anybody's life at all? Is it vain? No. God sees. God rewards. It's that psalm all over again. God sees. God knows everyone's hearts. He knows what they're doing. And he is judge, and he will judge rightly in the end. So if you believe in God and eternal salvation or eternal damnation, then you have it in you to work fully for the Lord today and tomorrow and the next day. But if you let the evil one creep in your head and go, did God really say X, Y, or Z? Is there really going to be a bodily resurrection? Are we really going to be punished for living silly, uncircumstantial, disobedient lives? Well, that's when we're going to fall away. 
So let's not do that. Let's sing a little bit more. Nope, it's noon already. We're going to skip the next hymn. But in it, it has, Where, O death, is thy victory? Where, O death, is thy sting? And he's mocking death. Why? Because what Christ did on the cross liberates us from sin, right? And the wages of sin is death. Okay, so all these things are connected. What Jesus did on the cross liberates us from the darkness, from sin, from death, from the sting of death. And now we're able to live in the light. And man, we just got to come back to it. It was talking about Adam. It says the first Adam was born in, uh, in dust. The second one is born of spirit. Who's, who's the second or last Adam? We covered it last Sunday, but who is it? Jesus. So go home, read that reading again. Anytime it's talking about the second Adam or the last Adam, the new man is us remade in Christ Jesus' image. But it's saying we're all born in the flesh, we're all born beastly, but we're all made to be reborn in the spirit to be like Jesus. So that's, that's important. I should have wrapped that in in better fashion. But let's go on to our final reading. I'm just going to remind you all, people in Africa worship all day long for hours and hours and hours. So thank you for not giving me a hard time about going over an hour. But we're trying to condense eternal things to one hour. It's the dumbest thing ever. Dumb was not the right descriptor. It's a frustrating effort. Our final reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 through 38, which you can find on page 1603 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the Word of God. This is Jesus speaking. This is the Sermon on the Plain. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is the word of the Lord. I would consider this teaching at the heart of the litmus test to determine, am I still dead in my sins and of the flesh, or have I been born again in Christ Jesus? If I hear that and I go, that doesn't make any sense. I, nobody's going to get ahead in life if they're forgiving their enemies. 
and they're praying for them and blessing people who hate them. That's not a good way. I'm going to go out and bless the Taliban. Nobody's going to do well in life if they're just giving money away and they're not going to get it back. <laughs> good job, Pastor Jeffrey. Yeah, I'm going to go and be poor. That's the, that's the voice of the flesh. That's the voice of Satan. He wants you there. So you're going, Jesus, I get the sentiment, but that is impractical. Nobody's going to do well in life if they live by you, Jesus. And by worldly standards, did Jesus do well in life? A guy got in an argument with me like six months ago saying Jesus was rich. Jesus wasn't rich. <laughs> I tried not to laugh. Jesus wasn't rich. He wasn't comfortable. He didn't have a lot of friends. He had a lot of enemies. And did Jesus bless those enemies? Yes, absolutely he did. By speaking the truth to them, by healing them, but not by coddling them. See, this is where this reading gets really difficult for us because when we imagine letting people abuse us and taking advantage of us and take our money, we imagine just being these enabling coddlers, right? Because that's the extreme. Those are the two extremes. You have either an enabling coddler or a judgmental jerk, right? Those are the only two options. But Jesus is this thing in the middle where he forgives, he blesses, he loves, but he also gives. And he also holds accountable. He models this very in-between path that's very hard for us to emulate because we want principles to guide us. And Jesus just offers, if someone wants your money, give it to them. If somebody wants your clothes, give it to them. If they want to hurt you, present your body to them to be hurt some more. Is that practical advice? No. So what if following Jesus is going to make me impractical? What if following Jesus is going to mean that I lose some money? Let's answer that question. What if following Jesus means I'm going to lose some money? What then? Am I going to still follow Jesus? What if I'm not willing to follow Jesus because it'll cost me money? Or what if I just, I'm not going to do the parts that cost me money? I'm fine, I'll learn to pray for my enemies, but I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to give money without expecting it back. What then? Who is my God? Money. Y'all knew that. <laughs> Y'all said that one. I didn't say that one. We need to make sure our God is the one we find in the Bible, right? And the God in the Bible says we can go through hard lives now. We can go through unjust things now. We can be abused now. We can lose some money now. Because on the other side of all this is more riches and wealth and blessing than we can possibly imagine. But how we live today matters. And if we're spending our lives going through going, that's not fair. I don't like that. He should be punished. Oh, they killed him. Good on him. You know, good on them. You know, if we're going through life like that, the scripture is going to be foreign to us. It says the, what you, the way you live life is the way you're going to be treated as well. And that's why it ends on do not judge. It's not that we're going to escape judgment. It's if we're harsh on others, God's going to be harsh on us. But if you look at other people in your life and you learn to see them, you know what? I'm a terrible sinner. God didn't have to forgive me. I've done terrible things in my life, and God didn't have to forgive me. But God is kind to the unjust and the wicked. He's been kind to me. And because God has been kind to me, I can be kind to this jerk over here. I can. I don't want to, but I can do it. That's not the voice of the devil. That's the voice of the Bible. Listen to that voice. Let it guide you. And you will find yourself in the green pastures and the still waters of Jesus Christ.